Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I'm going to start by asking the listeners a question today because I have met the most incredible woman and connected on LinkedIn, and I just feel like I've known her for years. We have so much in common. We've been in similar spaces in time. Have you ever had those serendipitous moments where you've connected with someone and and you just feel like you've known them? Well, let me tell you about Sue Lance, because that is who is on the show today, and that's exactly how I feel about her. Sue is a baby boomer. She is hoping to live a long and healthy life. And she has done so many amazing things within her career. She's organized home care. She's improved how health care is delivered. She's offered support to families. And she is one of those people that you want at your side during a crisis situation. She is the owner of Collaborative Aging, and she offers education and consulting services to individuals and families, communities. She is just, again, someone you want to have on your team. So Sue, I could go on forever, but I want to be conscientious of time. So welcome to Imperfect. It's so great to be here. Thank my, you for having me. My Dad. serendipitous kindred spirit. I, you know, we chuckled before we hit record that we haven't met, but I'm so glad we've crossed paths. And I can't even tell you how delighted I am to interview you because we have so much in common. So if you're ready, I am ready to dig in and ask you some leadership questions. I am ready, Deb. Let's go. Let's do it. So my first question is, I would love for you to share with the listeners Where does your love come from for the aging population? My passion and love for the aging population, I now understand, really came from my beautiful relationship with my grandparents on my father's side. Uh, I had the opportunity to know them uh, very well through my life and through theirs because I lost my father and my grandparents on my mother's side very young in my life. By the time I was 12, we'd lost all three of them. So my grandparents on the Lance side were dear, dear, almost like parents as well to me. I was the eldest grandchild. And I had the chance to actually be a part of their caregiving team, as I call it, uh, because they they were a big part of my life. And they, they had an amazing model for aging in place that I now realize has influenced much of my work uh, throughout the years. And I'll, I'd love to tell you more about kind of their model of aging and how that ties to the 
the recent book that guidebook that I've released called Options Open. But uh, they really were very empowered and proactive, but connected, fiercely connected to the people they loved and their neighbors and friends. And they really uh, planned ahead and made some really wise and timely choices to make sure they had the choice to stay in their home right to the end of their lives. And we were part of the team that supported them to do, to fulfill that vision. Well, it's so beautiful and you know, it's such a cliche, but there's always a story that leads to our life trajectory, whether it's our personal life or our professional life. And I certainly want to get into all of those things that you mentioned. I just want to give the listeners an opportunity to understand if you would just be so kind to share, because I know what it means. What does aging in place mean so that we can provide that context for the listeners? Well, uh, actually, it's interesting because we have sort of a technical definition of aging in place. And I, I happen to refer to the definition that was uh, coined by Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Um, and that's really about your ability to age safely, comfortably uh, in, the com in the same home and community um, independently as long as you can do so. And that's kind of a technical and functional definition, but I, I really feel that uh, people have the opportunity to carve their own version of, out of, or define what their own version of aging in place is. So it's obviously, it includes independence and safety and comfort and being in a home you, you in a community. But I really feel there's uh, more to it, so much more to it, it's much more, emotional and social as well as physical and so I see the relationships we hold and the neighborhoods we live in the people we uh, give and receive help from give help to and receive help from that all of those dimensions are really important aspects of successfully aging in place uh, so it's people as much as environment and it's really the situations that that we create and and are drawn to that allow us to age in place and and looking at whole person which is wonderful so thanks for clarifying because sometimes when you work in the industry or sector we take for advantage we take advantage of acronyms and terms so i just wanted to clarify just to give some frame of reference for our listeners now, my second question, Sue, that everybody gets is, what imperfections do you feel you bring to your heart-centered leadership? Well, that's such a good question, Deb. Um, well, at the root of the work I do, I'm really trying to support and coach and guide people towards themselves and creating a better experience for themselves and, the, and their caregivers, the people they care about. Um, and so I'm, my ultimate heart-centered strength is that I, I'm, I'm trying to help people reduce hardship or suffering. And a lot of healthcare clinicians are really oriented that way. But the shadow side of that or the negative side of that is that sometimes you can uh, take on more <laughs> to try to problem solve or troubleshoot. Uh, you can sometimes uh, sacrifice 
uh, your own self-care as you're trying to help others. And, and we're really seeing this in spades um, in, in the COVID situation where a lot of healthcare practitioners are struggling with that, that, um, that balance of uh, caring for oneself and staying grounded and yet uh, trying to help and care for others. So uh, I would say that is one of my weaker imperfections coming from a good place, but having to rein in sometimes the, the caring for others. Well, and I've been a caregiver uh, like you have, and it is a delicate balance because we can't really bring our whole healthy self to the role of caregiving if we're burning the candle at both ends. So fully relate to you on that. And all we can do is try. And each day, I encourage people to put their self-care as part of their morning routine and, and make it non-negotiable because we can't keep withdrawing emotionally and, and be in overdraft and expect to show up and, and be our best self. So I, I'm giving you a virtual high five, Sue, for, for trying every day. And, and that's yeah. the best that we can do, right? Well, and, and, and it's a learning process. Like one of the things I've learned is that for me, the most grounding thing to do is something called restorative yoga. And it is a, a, a meditative yoga where you have props and bolsters and supports and, and you, you really open your body up and you, re you really turn down all the reactive nervous system stuff and you really uh, rest and fully uh, restore your sort of nervous system. And after an hour of that or 40 minutes, I feel like a million bucks and I'm, I'm like my self-care pot is filled again. And so it's learning, right? How do you recharge? And, and then carry on with your passion work. Well, Sue, I'm giving you another virtual high five because I'm a yoga teacher. So <laughs> I, am, I am very happy that that's one of your modalities for self-care and restorative yoga is one of my favorites. And just hearing you describe, you know, a yoga flow that is restorative, you, you brought me right there. And I mean, I always feel like a million bucks after yoga, but that is one of my favorite yoga flows to do. So I'm happy that you're doing that as a baby boomer. And, and that is going to get you to live, live long and healthy for sure. You know what? I agree. I think it, it is, it is going to be part of my longevity uh, recipe. <laughs> uh, and I we are it. living longer. And this we is, are. Sort of, this is the, um, this is the, mission I'm on is to help people think about living longer and ready themselves for living longer and make some wise choices like my grandparents did to ensure the, that they had the choices they wanted later in life. Well, beautiful segue into my next question. You have developed a guide which I know you released on International Seniors Day, October 1st of this year, 2020. Mm -hmm. And you've created a guide for mapping your best aging journey called Options Open. Tell us where the passion and the drive and just where did you get the, the framework to really pull this together and, and create these beautiful five strategies? 
Well, uh, this, this has kind of been a labor of love for me for a while, and I hadn't kind of realized it, but uh, after working in the field of uh, both aging and also my early career in the field of working with people with physical disabilities, I, I realized that my learnings in my career were that I, I was really doing a lot of improvement projects and design projects to help people live as independently as possible. And what I found, even though we came up with a lot of creative options, and after do working on projects that were really helping people navigate a complicated health and community care system, I realized and learned that a big part of navigating health systems or any systems is also self-navigation. And so uh, after one project I led called Doorways to Care, where we perfected the way people could navigate uh, multiple agencies and services, we found that 20% of the people resisted the help that we led them to very simply and easily. And I thought, why? Why are we resisting? And that started me on a path of really delving into self-navigation and what does that take? And that's where I started to look to the literature and also to the models of my, uh, that I knew. And the model I best knew of self-navigation and the best self-navigation was my own grandparents because they had the foresight They'd made plans to safely stay in their home in a neighborhood they loved. They really did a lot of the right things to take charge of their health. And in combination, all these different efforts, including modifying their home for one level living, if that became something they needed, um, the, they really did this combination of strategies. And that led me to my five strategy framework uh, in the options open guide. Uh, and those five strategies are maintaining your best health and being very proactive about that and establishing collaborative relationships with the clinicians that, you, that help you. Uh, choosing your place, your home, making timely and wise housing choices. So are you going to stay? Are you going to move? If you're going to stay, is it in the right place? If it isn't located well, then is it accessible? Can you continue to afford it? These kinds of decisions. The third uh, uh, element is your social network. And that strategy is very much around the relationships you hold. And are they, are they, are you, have you got the right supportive network? And where are they located? And how can you kind of continue to grow your social network as you age? Uh, and then your caregiving team, I really, the, the, the fourth strategy is about really establishing in an intentional way the people that you will rely on to help you and creating a team and preparing that team. And that's a series of conversations. It's, it's knowing what roles you need support from. Like, for example, is it a financial advisor? Is it a lawyer? Is it a home care navigator? Is it someone who helps with logistics? Um, all these different roles come into the mix in terms of having a team around you or creating one. And uh, the fifth strategy is knowing your resources. And those resources are a lot of, we talk a lot about financial resources, but I'm also trying to help people see 
resources is, is multifaceted. It can be insurance, it can be government funded services, it can be charitable services, it can be your own assets financially or socially. Uh, and so uh, these five strategies, when you sort of look at them, they're like streams of planning and also action. But you get to tailor your choices in those areas and combine them in a way that creates your best version of aging in place. Well, I'm listening to you and it's almost like you've created this one-stop resource and you've pulled everything together and you're like the concierge of aging. That's what I'm trying to do, Deb. That's so lovely. I am trying to bring people to this framework in a way that allows them, and there are tools in the, the guide, self-reflection tools, top 10 lists, to begin to reflect for themselves on what's important to them, what do they value, who's, do they have a North Star or people that really are guiding in their life that will influence their choices, I'm trying to sort of do that, that guiding and, and concierge role for sure and do it in a way that is understandable because really, I have to say, after working in healthcare for a long time, we have all this lingo and it's very confusing. And this is what I learned with that Doorways to Care project. If we change, if we simplify the language and we make it more navigable, that allows people then to uh, take more stewardship themselves, take more leadership. It's not so overwhelming, just even the terminology. So I'm really trying with the guide to make this very, this information very understandable and relatable and also actionable. Um, for example, um, I talk a lot about preparing your caregiving team through conversations. And there's something that you can act on over a period of time, right? It's, a, it's when you have a bit of lead time, and this guide is aimed at people in their 60s or early 70s to prepare for their 80s or 90s. Uh, lead time allows you to have conversations over time with the people on your team or that you're asking to be part of your team. And then you're, in fact, preparing them and helping them understand what's important to you so that when they're asked to help make choices either with you or on your behalf, they're ready. So I try to put it in language that's um, really, um, I guess accessible is the only word I can come up with, that um, then allows people to do the self-reflection part of the process, which then I think sets people out on their journey because it begins them it begins that sort of self-stewarding uh, self-navigating important piece that i'm really aiming at well i think it's phenomenal uh i, I mean i cased managed for 23 years and i can't even tell you what a great resource this would have been because i used to spend copious amounts of hours on the telephone you know i'm i'm old enough to say that we didn't have the internet and email etc when i was in the midst of case managing so fax machines and the telephone were our modes of communication and i'm just thinking about the baby boomers and i'm gonna throw another question in here because i think it's just so vital for people listening 
you know, us baby boomers have kids, we have grandkids, and we also have the aging parents. We, we truly are that sandwich generation. So I'm going to make sure that we get the information for the options open guide in our podcast description so people can have this wealth of knowledge, let alone your experience and education that you've put into this, Sue. But my question is, for people who don't have the resources, what would be, because we're going to put your book in their hands, so, <laughs> but... Okay. Without the resource at hand, what is a, what's one piece of advice that you would give to a baby boomer? Because I don't know what the recent stats are for, for Canada for baby boomers, but I do know they are the majority of the senior population. Yeah. What advice can you give to them before they can get their hands on this options guide, especially, you know, having children Um, I mean, I am the next generation after the baby boomers and, you know, have university aged children, no grandchildren yet and aging parents. We have one left and she's going to be 94. It can be overwhelming. It can be daunting because yes, we have the internet at our fingertips, but it's really easy to become inundated with information. So what, what's one piece of advice with your public administration background that you could give to someone to just start them on the journey so that it's not so overwhelming? Mm. Well, I guess my, <laughs> the fundamental advice I'm trying to convey is start early, at least in terms of planting the seeds about thinking about what it is you want to achieve or experience in your later life. And I'd say that, you know, a lot of, I am a baby boomer myself. I'm 62. My peers are in this boat. Many of uh, us no longer have parents, but some do. And they're in that late, late stage of aging now. And so as you described, we've got baby boomers that are sandwiched in between really caring for, uh, frail and you know later stage aging uh, parents and young teenager young adult uh, children and then they're also trying to carry on working and pay the bills and so there's sort of a, a, a kind of a tread water feeling that a lot of people have um, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is back to that self-care piece Um, remember that you too are going to be aging and just start to be mindful about uh, how you can go about having the best experience you want to have in relation to your kids, your friends, your family, your chosen family, because a lot of people are, have chosen family. Uh, And there are a number of aging boomers who live alone and do not have family. And that's a group of people I'm obviously very concerned about too, which is where my guide helps people sort of make some informed choices so that you're near or uh, can help create a neighborhood network of support for yourself. And there are models for this that I get into in the guide, but just that, just my 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 main message of the book is is start thinking early you don't have to act early but start thinking 
early enough that you can then begin that self-navigation process. And when you have a little lead time, that allows as things change in your life, including losing your parents, there'll be more room for you to invest more in that thinking and planning. But it's kind of, as I say, with the, the book offers a, a unique kind of travel planning approach. And what I do with that is I set up the reader to understand that like we would do with the trip we're taking, we think about, let's just say I'm going to go to, um, I'm going to go to Hawaii. Well, what do you do? You start to look at Hawaii online. You start to think about uh, places you'd like to visit. You do your research. You start to talk to friends about their trip to Hawaii. Your antenna goes up when there's a news item about uh, Hawaii. You, you look at the, the places you want to visit, whether there are risks associated with that place. Uh, how are you, do you need health insurance? Do you need a vaccine to go there? Um, how, you know, how much does it cost? Where will you stay? You do that advanced research and that advanced legwork over time to prepare to get on the plane, right? And so I'm trying to help people say, okay, start thinking about your destinations, your travel destinations, and they may be one or two or three uh, in terms of later stage life of life. And, and then just let yourself be with that, be open to ideas um, of, places that you might live, housing options you might have, people you might want to be near, who will be on your team, and you can build your plan over time. So well, I hope that it, makes some it sense. It is. It's, it's great advice. It's sound advice. And we have to be mindful that the aging population, they don't rush into anything. They're very methodical. They want to <laughs> think about things. And I think it's important for us to step into their world and really see life through their eyes from their vantage point, because you made such a strong, valid point that we have to foster and be very respectful of their autonomy and independence. And they don't want to give that up. No, they see right. that as a further step forward towards end of life. And we want to keep them healthy and vibrant. So that's very, very sound advice. And I'm excited to get your book and congratulations on putting such a great resource together. And it sounds wonderful. And I'm going to deem you the concierge for the uh, <laughs> options for aging population, Sue. So well done. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it is a labor of love. And I just really hope people find it helpful. This is the whole goal of it is to really put it in a form that is helpful to people that they can refer to it over time. Uh, it's a handbook style. It's, it's, a, it's got checklists and things you can, you know, jot notes in if you buy the soft cover versus the uh, PDF book. Um, and uh, it really, you know, let yourself trickle uh, with these ideas, because as you say, to foster autonomy is really a process of cultivating that autonomy and those choices over time. And I'm just trying to be a sort of a, a support in that process and a guide. Well, I think you're doing a great job. 
I'm going to uh, shift gears here and we're going to have a little bit of fun and I'm going to ask you what I call my fab four questions. <laughs> four fun questions. Just want to know what's sitting on the top of Sue's mind. So are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Fab four. Here we All go. right. So with no thinking, give me one word to describe 2020. Oh. Um. I was going to say game changing, but I mean, it's been a catastrophe on many levels, especially in the aging field. So uh, transformational would be my word. I've, I've had that one before. That's a good one. Mm. Now I normally ask a question about having a conversation with younger self, but I can't do that with you because you're an aging specialist. <laughs> So I'm uh, going to say, because you shared with us your age, 60, yes. 62, Two. tell us, tell us what the 80 year old Sue looks like and what is she doing? <laughs> uh, oh, the 80 year old Sue. It's funny because I, I've been thinking more about that in terms of the 80 year old Sue, I think is going to be doing a lot of the same things the 62 year old Sue is doing. She's going to be volunteering. She's going to be doing some productive activity, like whatever that is, educative, consulting, something that earns a little money. She's going to have grandchildren, I hope, and be loving being a grandmother because I have had such good models for that and, and excited about that possibility. Uh, she's going to be doing her restorative yoga and yoga and cycling. And she's going to be near nature somehow because I love being in, in sort of near water and in open spaces. So for sure I know that. And I'm going to be certainly very socially um, connected as I am now to my friends, family, neighbors. Like it's kind of who I am. So I'm going to be an older version of what I am now. Well, and, and you're following the options guide, which I would expect no less from you. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> now, if you, if my third question is, if you had to, if you had the ability to have dinner with anybody who's living or maybe who has passed, what person comes to mind first and foremost for you? Mm. That's a hard one because I used to to think I wanted to have a dinner with a comedian, like someone like Steve Martin. But but actually, I think now, given 2020, I'd love to have dinner with um, a really compassionate leader, someone like Barack Obama, uh, or uh, yeah, some of the the female uh, figures who are leading, um, like the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Um, just, you know, there's so many women now starting to step into leadership roles, so with compassion. So I'd like to have dinner with a compassionate, um, kind of global leader, really pick their brains and learn from them. Uh, a heart-centered leader. A heart-centered leader. There you go. Those are two good ones. If you get invited to, to dinner with either of those, don't forget to call your friend Deb Crow to go with you. I'll be available. Okay. okay. <laughs> My last question is, 
what do you want your legacy to be? Well, I think that it seems to me from what I'm doing at this stage of my life that my legacy, my goal and my intention for a legacy is to do at a larger scale what my grandparents did for me, which was to model a certain way of going about aging that was positive for themselves and for the people that they loved. And I guess I'm hoping my legacy will be to help a larger number of people, and we boomers are a larger number of people, to do exactly that for themselves and, to, and for the people they love. Well, that's beautiful. And I certainly think you're well on your way to that trajectory. And, you know, even though we're on this audio podcast, I can feel your compassion and empathy towards the aging population. So I think you've landed in the space to lead with greatness with your heart-centered leadership. And I got to say it again, I still can't believe we haven't crossed paths, but I'm certainly grateful that we have. And I just want to say thank you for sharing some time with me today and your expertise. And I look forward to sharing your book with our audience and for reading your book and just keep on leading and serving the aging population with your heart-centered leadership. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Deb, for offering me this opportunity to talk in this way about the work I'm doing. As you say, our paths have, have certainly crossed somewhere, if not eye to eye. We've worked in the same uh, field and uh, I've loved our conversation. So thank you for hosting me. It's my pleasure. I love to end the podcast with my list of five things that I really feel help us lead a purposeful life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always remember to be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.